What is going on, folks? Welcome to the Big Dudes in the Trenches. I am Doug, and I am joined by the legendary, the incredible Jake Botel. <laughs> How you doing, man? Ah, oh, a pleasure to be back in the uh, in the virtual studio with you. I heard the the horn call from the big dudes, and I thought I'm on my way to podcast. Love talking I mean, about football with you guys. So. Thanks for I the need invite. You for the next couple of Mondays as well, if you got time. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Send Uncle up Sam that smoke said, signal. Uh, it's time for the Aussies. That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> need that's the big right. dudes in the trenches calling the reinforcements. That's that's what happened here. Uh, but the we got plenty of stuff to be talking about, and we're going to start off with the NFL like we do. But of course, the majority of our show is going to be spent on college football because we have said championship weekend round two of the FCS playoffs, and so dang much coaching carousel news to be talking about. Yeah. <laughs> say the best yeah. thing we can do is get started. You got anything to throw in here before we do? No. Uh, well, I do. I just have to give a shout out to uh, the one and only Stacey Ashton, who is tuning in and said she updated her Twitch just to be able to tune in tonight. So nice. uh, shout out, Stacey. Hope you enjoy the show. <laughs> all right man well we do have to start off with some bad bad news i guess uh especially if you're a 49ers fan mm. jimmy garoppolo has broken yep. his foot uh, and will be out for the rest of the season which means we got to see brock purdy play i love brock purdy at iowa state but i also never expected him to be a legitimate starter in the nfl so <laughs> what do you think's gonna happen here for 49ers this is kind of a a rough situation for a contender. Yeah, and the 49ers uh, faithful are probably pretty used to this at this point in time. I mean, Jimmy True. G lit it up at the back end of uh, 2017, I think it was, and then, you know, game and a half into 2018, um, you know, did a knee or whatever it was and was out for the season. Um, Trey Lance gets injured this year. It always seems to be the last few years that the Niners are just a little bit stricken at the QB position, but I would say if there's any offense where, you know, you've got enough talent that you can sort of just plug and play a guy, at least, you know, in the regular season playoffs is a bit of a different kettle of fish. You sort of need a dude who can step up in the big moment, but I don't know this 49ers sort of death machine on offense. They just need someone in there who won't screw it up for them. So whether Brock Purdy can be that guy, I don't know. Statistically, he looked relatively efficient uh, on the weekend. But, you know, there's some other names out there, I guess, that are floating around free agency. Another guy who just came online, a first-round pick, potentially, a former first-rounder. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, Baker Mayfield was just yeah. by the Carolina Panthers. Uh, potential reuniting with Christian McCaffrey. <laughs> um, yeah, that's brilliant. It would not be all that surprising if they do go that direction. They need somebody, right? At this point, just get some warm bodies in the room. At the same time, Baker Mayfield has not looked good the last time, a couple times we've seen him hit the field. So there mm. is a possibility that Brock Purdy is your better bet since he at least already knows the playbook at this point. At the very least. Yeah. Uh, if not, maybe he's playing better anyway. 
Yeah, I mean, you just never know with these guys. I mean, you know, Purdy was taken 262nd overall. I think he was the very last pick in the NFL draft. But, I mean, you just don't know what can develop from time to time. I mean, Duck Hodges won games with the Steelers, uh, you know, in 2019. So, and wasn't surrounded by as much talent as what, you know, any quarterback will be stepping in at the Niners. Uh, I think Mayfield... You know, the 49ers are built around this hard-hitting, you know, uh, pound you up at the line of scrimmage. They fly around on defense. That headbutting video from Baker Mayfield a few weeks ago, maybe he fits the profile, you know. He's, he's willing to come in and, and crack heads uh, with people. Um, I don't know. Would you risk it at this point? I guess you, you would maybe, but I don't know. The personality side of it, like, yeah. is it worth it? Right at now, this point, know. at this point, I think the best fit for Baker Mayfield, with you know that helmet cracking, you know head head butting video, <laughs> is probably the strength and conditioning coach at Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Get him in there. Boomer sooner. <laughs> but other than that, it's really just a bunch of injury news. And I don't like yeah. talking about injuries all that much. I mean, Jimmy G was a big enough one. We kind of have to talk about that potential. Mm-hmm. With uh, Obviously, the 49ers are in a rough spot there. But other well, than that... They uh, have just, they've just been talking about... Sorry, they've just been talking about the fact that they were happy to look at bringing him back next year. Right. If the situation was right. So it couldn't come at a worse time for him either. I know. So, for, yeah, anyway. That's... Right. It's bad all around. Um, but, you know, like Matt Stafford's Matt. I don't even know what word I just said. Matthew Stafford is now on <laughs> IR. <laughs> um, looks like Von Miller avoided the worst possible case scenario, but he, I think he's still on IR, right? Um, there's a lot of weird things yeah. going on. Well, let's just talk about the games mm-hmm. uh, that we had picked. Of course, we always start with the primetime games and, uh, this one was a primetime game, technically. <laughs> uh, right. Kind of incredible. Cowboys scored 33 unanswered points in the fourth quarter to win 54 to 19, which is the 1,074th unique final score in NFL history. That's pretty dang cool. <laughs> Almost as many touchdowns as Tom Brady's thrown in his career. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I did pick the Colts in this game for some reason. So that's a bad start for me. <laughs> I think Man. I said it when you were on last time. You know, it's it's Jeff yeah. Sunday now. I'm going to roll with my boy Jeff Sunday every time he's in prime time <laughs> because I have to. I feel obligated. Well, I tell you, you know, like if the coaching thing doesn't work out, you know, Jeff Saturday definitely feels like someone who could transition to the media. Um, you know, he sort well, of he seems like did. You know, my... <laughs> he was on his yeah. bed and then he went to coach. Yep. <laughs> Man, the, the Cowboys, to me, right now, uh, are my pick from the NFC side to go to the Super Bowl. That, that defense, they're one of the first that one of the few teams I think in the league who have a player on defense who could legitimately be in the conversation for league MVP, mm-hmm. they had to double team 
Micah Parsons all night. It was it was funny to sort of watch it unfold and that obviously just opens up all sorts of other things for other players i don't know if parsons had a sack on the evening i didn't get to see the box score but i watched the game and it was like i think i messaged you i said watching matt ryan play against that cowboys defense was like watching an old meerkat blindly wander into like a hyena's den because they're ferocious that cowboys defense are monstrous and the offense is is you know explosive so i as if i was an eagles fan i'd be a little nervous because the cowboys have had some ups and downs but they seem to be hitting their stride at a really good time in the season um whether they get a one seed or not i I think i'd be picking the cowboys to go to the big dance at this point it's so crazy at the beginning of the year i never would have guessed we'd be talking about two nfc east teams as the powerhouses in the entire league and maybe all four yeah. of them still making the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's Definitely. kind of incredible. Uh, one of those teams that we thought would be NFC juggernauts the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is in action right now against the new Orleans saints. I picked the Buccaneers. They are favored by three points. They're also at home. I'm really hoping this one works out for me. But what do you think about this game? Um, I'm hoping it's low scoring. Um, that's one thing I'll say. Um, but like, that's a bit of a um, Al Michaels there for you. Um, I, I think, yeah, low scoring would be good. Uh, I, 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 the, the Bucks have frustrated me this year. They've I mean, obviously, this but year. yeah, like the, the, the game against Seattle in Germany, I thought they'd figured it out. They ran right. the ball really well with Rashad White. They were bullying the Seahawks. The passing game was starting to open up. The defense was stopping the run. And I, on my podcast, I was like, I think they've figured it out. I think here on out, they're going to figure it out. They're going to get on a run, you know, late in the season here and be dangerous come playoff time. But since then, they've looked, you know, bereft of, of confidence, bereft of synergy, I really don't know what, like, how to work it out. I, I, I don't know what's going on with them. The Saints, they're a mess, but, you know, their defense played feisty football last week. And Andy Dalton at times can sling it around. Um, they've got one in Chris Olave. Like, what a draft pick. Like, he's got to be in the discussion for Offensive Rookie of the Year. He'd have to be um, because he's basically come in and become their number one receiver in year one. Right. Yeah, I really don't know what like what to expect as a result, but really disappointed in the Bucks. I didn't expect much of the Saints, but geez, Brady and Tampa have been really frustrating to watch. I feel like I didn't expect much of the Saints either, but I still somehow expected more than this. And <laughs> starting Andy Dalton at this point in the season just feels like a bad move regardless of where you're at in life. So yeah. I know he's uh he was good at TCU. He was had a couple of good years with the Bengals, but that's also been like 15 years ago at this point. <laughs> Feels like anyway. You you got to start wondering about if it's a draft position move though, because maybe. you know does Jameis give you a bet? But maybe they don't want a better chance to win. You know, maybe maybe they're looking for. Um, draft capital. That would be a bold move by first year head coach Dennis Allen. 
Or is it his second year? Either way, still. <laughs> uh, but that is not the only game we were going to pick this week. Of course, we had three games that we also decided were worth watching out for. Um, and I did not get any of these right. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Uh, <laughs> so I, I want to start with the Browns-Texans because um, I don't know. I, I don't know why I want to start with the Browns-Texans, actually. I, none of these games are good for me, so we'll just start here, I guess. Uh, I had thought that with the return of Deshaun Watson, there would be plenty of intrigue here. And the offense would be really rough for the Browns. Uh, and I was right about that. What I was wrong about with this is that the offense for the Texans was somehow way worse. The Browns scored two defensive touchdowns and they got a kick return for a touchdown. I mean, that's, that's a hell of a way to win a game. If you can get two defensive touchdowns and one special teams touchdown, I don't think you're ever going to lose. So the Browns, even with a poor performance from Deshaun Watson, they mm. proved me wrong, I guess. Uh, but it wasn't – I wasn't wrong in why I picked the Texans. I was just wrong in that that offense is way worse than I even thought, which I already knew it was really bad. So <laughs> – Yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys Sorry, have seen that game, but it was gross. Um, no, I didn't see this one. I, I may go back and watch it. Um, it's sort of like box now score scouting. you had that glowing sort of... recommendation. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You really sold it to me. Um, it, it seemed to play out about as I thought it would. You know, Deshaun Watson looked rusty. Um, you know, he's had nearly two years not playing football. Um but this Browns team, I've used the word enough already on this episode, but feisty. They are a, a pretty competitive team, you know, in all phases of the game. They show it by scoring on special teams and twice on defense. Uh, and, and this Texans team, I just talked about, you know, are the Saints playing for draft position? I mean, that's what's happened here. You're not, you don't start Kyle Allen because you want to win games. Right. If you wanted to win games, you start Davis Mills. This is a tank. It's a Texans tank job. Um, I don't know who they want. I think you can flip this team around relatively quickly because I don't think the AFC South is the strongest division. And and I think NFL teams can turn quickly if you get the right quarterback, if you you know make the right draft selections, which, you know, there's, there's a couple of no-brainer QBs probably. Yeah, um, but it is the Texans. In the draft. So incoming Anthony that's, Richardson, number one overall. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That was smart. They dropped Max Duggan, but you know, uh, yeah, no, they were ten thousand IQ play drafted Will Levis. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so no, it's it's the the Houston Texans are tanking for draft position. The Browns are I don't know they're probably out of the playoff race, but you know, Lamar Jackson is injured. Um, and think, where does I think they are mathematically still in it? but they're basically mm. out. Yeah, they're basically out. But we'll see. Uh, we also picked the Chargers and Raiders, which sounds like 
before the season started sounds like a phenomenal matchup. And now middle of the season sounds like a very mediocre matchup, which is <laughs> sounds rough, but it's kind of true. Um, what ended up happening is honestly what we had discussed the way the Raiders would win. If they do win, the chargers were, are without a couple of pieces on the defensive line now due to injury. And the Raiders just let Josh Jacobs loops ran all over the field on them. I got to ask, is Josh Jacobs, like, good now? <laughs> there was some well, doubt the, for a the minute. Question, yeah, yeah. And and also, like, did Josh McDaniel, like, you know, grow a brain or something? Because, like, right. if you look at his stats, Josh Jacobs on Pro Football Reference, um, you know, you look at the games where he rushes 20-plus times, and I think if you look at this, they're sort of like three and two in the five games where he has 20-plus rushing attempts. Hmm. And I think they're winless in games where he doesn't. So it, it, it's such an <laughs> obvious formula. Give Josh Jacobs the football at least 20 times a game and see what happens. Uh, I think it opens up so much more for Derek Carr. But even without opening up the passing game, he's just a good running back. and. He, they should be trusting the offense to him and Devontae Adams and Derek Carr don't muck it up. That's sort of the formula for, for Vegas, in, in my opinion. And um, the the Chargers, speaking of disappointments, like with the Bucks, right. Right. Um, they're, they're really disappointing. They're really disappointing to watch, and it's not for lack of trying from Justin Herbert. He gives his absolute all every week. He's throwing in third and longs constantly, converting a lot of them. But it's just, it's all on his shoulders. He, he it, You know, when I look at it, there's not a lot of support for him on the offense. Um, they don't seem to play great situational football either, and... They're just a real mess, which is a shame because that AFC West was meant to be this, you know, showdown between four stacked teams and the well, Chiefs look like running away with the division one. again. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I would say the situational football issue, that comes down to coaching. So it's going to be interesting 100%. to see the Chargers able to bring in because it should not be Brandon Staley next year, put it that way. Our third game of the weekend was Jags-Lions. We both we thought that both these teams were better than their record so far. Um, and I still believe that to be true. However, <laughs> the Lions defense came to play, made Trevor Lawrence extremely uncomfortable, probably the worst game of his career so far. And uh, the Lions won 40-14. to <laughs> I kind of don't know what to say about that. It feels like a throw away the tape kind of a game for the Jaguars, I guess. But wow. Wow. Yeah, and it was it it's been a build towards these moments for Detroit. Um I was pretty bought in on the Lions story. I watched Hard Knocks this year and it's an incredibly likable coaching staff, an incredibly likable team. And you've just been hoping and hoping that Dan Campbell and the staff get this pointed in the right direction before their butts get hot and they get sacked. Um, and look, that's like, I think what we're seeing. I, I've, the, if you look at the, the, the odds next week against the Vikings, the Lions currently slight favorites over the Vikings. Wow. Um, I think it's fair enough. 
Because this Lions team, if they had started the season like this, they would be in contention for that division because they bullied Jacksonville um, at the line of scrimmage. They were just able to drive the ball almost at will. Uh, uh, Jared Goff is playing really well. It actually brought up the question. I was speaking with a mate, Jack, about like next year for the Lions and the draft. And, you know, I think that they go and draft a quarterback. And then at the same time, you look at the way this offense functions and it's really Jared Goff is playing the sort of role you need him to play. He's executing the offense. He's making beautiful throws um, and he's just commanding the offense really well. I, the, the running game is what it's built around. Uh, and they've got that beautiful two-headed monster in Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift. This is a really good football team. This is a really good football team, I think, that Dan Campbell is building. And I think they've built it the right way. I think if you sprinkled in a really good first-round quarterback on this team, I'd be inclined personally to look at the secondary and see if there's something they can add, um, you know, in terms of a really true shutdown corner or something. Um, like this team looks primed if they keep playing like this. And I understand why they're slight favorites against the Vikings, because if they play like they did against the Jags, it's a 50, 50 game. So I will say, first of all, it's not hard to bully the Jaguars outside of Jacksonville usually. <laughs> so true. <laughs> but also I think you're right. I don't know that drafting a first round quarterback is really the answer anymore. And there was so much yeah. talk of Jared Goff just being like a throwaway it was a bad contract to begin with. Why did anybody want to give him this money? It's going to be so much dead cap for the Lions to actually move on from him, even this offseason. Yeah. Why would you do that if you're already competing this well? So I would absolutely, like you said, I would look in the secondary first and mm. maybe just keep building that defensive line, offensive line. So we'll see what happens. Very interested yeah. in what the Lions' future looks like here. Uh, certainly looking brighter than it has in a long time, put it that way. 40 to 14, unreal. But that does mean that I got the very coveted Stonks Down Award for going 0-4 <laughs> so far this week. <laughs> uh, almost has me rooting for the Saints tonight because I would get the, <laughs> the very coveted 0-5. It's hard to do. Below 500. You are welcome. It's it's been very difficult to get to this point, and <laughs> just want want to thank my heavenly Father for this opportunity. And, uh... <laughs> That's right. I mean, just ask the Cleveland Browns. It was hard to get to zero sixteen. It's a hard thing to do. <laughs> so I know you make picks for all college football games this season. Have mm. have you been making picks for the NFL as well? Yeah, yeah, we've got a picks competition with a with a few okay. people. Um, I am leading the, uh, the the picks tournament. I'm just vamping here while I try and get the uh, the score up to see what my um what my record is this week. Um, if it's above five hundred, you're doing better than me. So yeah, I've got twelve so far this week. Twelve so far this week. Um, wow, I'm not sure exactly where the standings are. Yeah, there's a couple I didn't quite nab, but. Um, yeah, That's 12 good. this week so far. Yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy yeah. with that. 
I'm happy with that. <laughs> Up to, uh, yeah, 124, correct, for the season. But we're picking every game in that, so. You know, if I if I pick 16 games, I think I'd be, uh, I'd at least be 11 and 4 right now. So, you know, we, exactly. we were, we're about even, I'd say. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but speaking of 0 and 4, uh, we also did very poorly on our fantasy Oof. projections this week. <laughs> Just. It's a bad time in the NFL this week for us. Um, yeah, Curtis Samuel was our sit at wide receiver. Uh, if you're in a PPR league, you're going to regret that one for sure. Uh, no touchdown there, but he did have six catches for 63 yards. And then we tried to start George Pickens. Uh, very inconsistent on that yet. I would recommend throwing him in a taxi if you can. If you're in a dynasty. Uh because, yeah, he only had one catch for two yards. So, not a great look there on wide receivers, got to say. Mm. And then yeah, we well, also um, – I'll go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, Pickens, like, I, I can understand why you would start him because he flashes something special almost every game. But right. um, Steel is a bit more committed to running the ball at the minute, which I'm loving. So, yeah. I mean, that's I like that. usually a good formula to win in the AFC North, but it's mm. very bad for fantasy football players. Gotta say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And then running backs, we sat Jonathan Taylor who had 103 total yards, uh, like 80 of which were on the ground. And then the rest of them came on those three catches for a 13.3 PPR, which yeah, you'd take that out of a running back most weeks. Um, Aaron Jones was on his way to a really good game and he got hurt and missed. Yeah. Actually probably most of this game, I would say. Um, so that's rough, but he did finish with five catches for 50 yards. If you're in a PPR, that's not terrible, but also like just comparing these two, you definitely should have started Jonathan Taylor over Aaron Jones. Uh, so I'm going to give us the 0 and 4 on this week which means we fall below 500 in our fantasy projections for the first time this season. Unreal. We've been riding that 500 wave for like four weeks now. So injury is a cruel, is a cruel mistress because you, you were, yes. you were on it with Aaron Jones. He was on his way to a 25 plus point day. So yeah. Cruel. Very cruel. Yeah. <laughs> That's just, that's how the cookie crumbles sometimes. I don't know what else to say. Uh, but I guess we should go ahead and move on to college football because we have still a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, did want to compare the final college football playoff rankings to our BDT trench ratings after the uh, conference championship games. Of course, in all computer models and everything, TCU is going to drop below Ohio State there. Uh, I think the committee got it right in keeping TCU above Ohio State, though, as far as the playoff rankings are concerned. You shouldn't penalize a team for making it to a postseason game when the team you're comparing them to couldn't get to that postseason game. So I understand it. I will say it's very fun to me that we have Tulane in the top 10 and the college football playoff committee has Kansas State in the top 10 who Tulane beat in the regular season. Take that, Wildcats. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, like, you know, they, they, they had to get Kansas State up to 10 last week for TV ratings because they needed a top 10 matchup for the Big 12 championship game. True. So you can't Very then true. drop them out if they win. <laughs> so the top six. What's the deal with Penn State? Well, I, I like that you guys got Penn State at five. Yeah. What, what's the disrespect from, from, the, from the committee, do you think, towards Penn State? The biggest thing is they don't really have any notable wins. The only thing propping them up, in most people's opinion, would be their only losses are to two teams in the playoff. The thing is, as far as the computer model is concerned, like our formula, they dominate everybody else by well enough that they should be considered as one of the better teams. You know, it. I don't think there's any comparable opponent uh, to Penn State that they've played other than those two teams in the playoff. So as far as a computer yeah. formula is concerned, this is understandable. As far as voting is concerned, though, you have to reward teams for playing tough opponents. And Penn State hasn't been able to win any games against tough opponents. So I do kind of understand it. At the same time, as an AP voter, I was talking with Bug last episode saying I would probably vote Alabama, Penn State, or, or not, uh, not Alabama, uh, Tennessee, Penn State, Alabama, because Tennessee beat Alabama. Yeah. And Penn State's right yeah. in that mix. So, I don't know. It, it, it's understandable, but we like Penn State this year, I guess. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this does mean the college football playoff is set. We do have Ohio State heading down to Atlanta to play the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, basically an away game for Ohio State down there in SEC country. And TCU squaring mm-hmm. off against that team up north, but they are heading out to the desert to do so out in Arizona in the Fiesta Bowl. What do you think of these matchups, and do you think they got the four teams right? Yes, I do think they got the four teams right. I, I think that Ohio State and Michigan um, both deserve to go both undefeated going into that game against each other. I know a lot of people were saying, you know, well, you know, Michigan won sort of comfortably and this sort of thing. But, you know, it's an interesting one to look at that game because, you know, they rattled off a lot of explosive plays and in between, you know, was stopped, like, not frequently. But I I don't know. I'll I'll be very interested to see if, if we ever got to a national championship game with Michigan, Ohio State again. I'd be really interested to see how it would play out a second time around. Um, I think this is the right four teams. I know Nick Saban was out stumping for Alabama. I said, you know, like he reminds me of Frank Underwood from House of Cards, the Kevin Spacey character. He's just out there trying to drum up votes. Um, That's a really bad reference. What we know about Kevin Spacey. I, I yeah, I think they got it right. Great uniform matchup, TCU and Michigan. A little bit much red for my liking in Ohio State v Georgia, but <laughs> I think this is right. I think this is this is correct. I um I emotionally hedged the night before this was announced, um, 
Alabama was plus 800 to make the playoff, and I thought if the committee's going to be that corrupt, fair, then um, plus 800, that's, you've that's got to throw five bucks on it, you know? Just in case they screwed the frogs right. out of a, of a position, but they got it right. So morality wins in the end. Um, no, I think this is great, and I'm really excited about it. I think they're, they're two potentially really good matchups. I know everyone thinks TCU will get blown out of the water, but honestly, I love TCU going into this game with that mindset. Because I think, it, you know, they've had this loss last week. Uh, so on the weekend, yeah, that'll burn in them. And I think they think they know no one is giving them a chance. No one at all. And Purdue made a fight of it in the game against Michigan, except say, for man, finishing off in the red zone. It's so crazy to me. We essentially have the matchup of the two teams this season who come out slow every single game, go into the locker room at halftime, Snort something, come out way red hot. <laughs> Smelling salts. Both of these teams do that this season. <laughs> and then on the other side, you have Ohio State and Georgia, who have just tried to out-talent everyone on their schedule. And for the most part, it's worked. The only only one loss between the two of them. Uh, I don't know. I think this is a good stylistic matchup, as well as I agree it is the right four teams. I am. A little bit biased as an Ohio State fan sneaking in there at number four, but you know I like uh, I like TCU staying above us as well. I do understand that. But speaking of too much red, let's look at this Heisman Trophy finalists. Uh, there are three red quarterbacks here and one purple quarterback. Uh, this looks very much like the Davy O'Brien Award and not the Heisman Trophy, for the record. At the same time, I don't really know who else I would put up here. At this point in the season, it's kind of tough. I know Michael Penix, Bo Nix have some legitimate discussion as being the most electric players in college football, potentially the most outstanding. From a position player standpoint, it's hard to think of anybody who really has the stats to compete. If you watch Marvin Harrison Jr., it's clear he is a freakish athlete and does some amazing things. If you watch B. John Robinson, he is one of the greatest running backs we've seen in college football in a while. At the same time, they don't necessarily have the stats to compete in the way that quarterbacks will in a pass-first college football landscape. What do you think about this? Yeah, no, I tend to agree. And quarterbacks have so much more margin for error for one or two quiet games. You know, like you think about B. John Robinson – um, you know, he was pretty well stopped against the Frogs. And, right. you know, a, a running back just isn't going to get that same leeway um, when it comes time for, for the awards season. I think about Blake Corum uh, for Michigan, you know, now missing games through injury. Like, just makes well, it right. tough. Even with you, that, as, you know, Hendon Hooker ought to be considered for this anyway. Yeah. I mean, he got hurt. That shouldn't necessarily be the reason you can't win for being the most outstanding player in the games that he played, he was amazing. Mm. Yeah, totally. Totally. And, and, and it's very QB heavy, but I guess that's the way the sport is. It's the way it's only going to trend. Um, it's a shame. There's not one other positional group, I know. you know, represented here. Um, I know. But I'm, I am thrilled for Max Duggan. Uh, you know, it was really sad for him on the weekend because he clearly gave it absolutely everything. Um, 
yeah. you know, and he's just such a gritty little battler. That's what I love about him. He's just, he, I think he really does embody that team so well, but it's, it's, it's a nice array of players, but I think this, you know, it's pretty obviously tilted towards Caleb Williams, I would say at this point. Yeah. And there is really only one surprise on this list. I would say most people will be, you know, a little bit thrown off by the inclusion of Stetson Bennett. I kind of understand it, though. If you look at his stats this season, he's not been incredible, but he's been very efficient. And I don't know. It doesn't scream most outstanding player to me. It screams uh, yeah. pretty decent player in the right in the right system. <laughs> mm. But yeah. he also has his Bulldogs undefeated, and he is a quarterback, so he's a finalist now. Is the Heisman like too? I, I mean, I, I'm I've only been following college football a few years, but like the story element of it seems to. I mean, it matters to me as a, as a spectator. Obviously, performance on the field, but then you know the idea of a story of a player, mm-hmm. you know, like Max Duggan, you know, not even the starting quarterback having the heart issue at the start of the year, coming back, winning the job, um, and doing what they've done, like that that tilts the needle pretty heavily for me, um, that sort of stuff. Um, but I don't know if that factors into to people's voting or not. It can. I mean, there are plenty of voters. I'm sure every one of them has their own criteria. <laughs> I mean, Stetson Bennett's story is equally engaging in yeah. that sense. A former walk-on clinches the starting job, wins him a title, comes back and goes undefeated. I mean... The disrespect around him has been palpable. Sure. And he's continually proving people wrong. I don't know. At the same time, it feels like it should go to the most athletic, most dominant players Mm. on the field. And I don't know that any of these guys necessarily are that this year, but I don't know who else I would give it to either. Yeah. (laughs) This is a weird year for the Heisman. Buddy, give it to that center from the team up north, and I forget his name right now. That's the most outstanding player in college football this season. Not kidding either. Um, yeah, I need to figure out his name. Anyway, we'll do that later. That'll be uh, part of our BDT <laughs> college football season awards. I'll bring him up again. Nice. That'll be coming up soon, but we have to wait for the regular season to finish. Unlike disgusting Heisman Trophy voters. We actually wait for the Army Navy game this Saturday before we before we declare the winners of these awards. <laughs> <laughs> like good Americans. That's right. Uh, but let's go ahead and jump into the coaching carousel because this is where all the biggest news of the weekend is happening. Uh, even you know, forget college football playoff. Everybody kind of know, kind of knew who like three of the teams were at least anyway. No. There's a there's a new coach in town in Boulder, Colorado. Deion Sanders accepts the deal as uh, making I don't know five million a year more than he was at Jackson State now. So that's pretty cool. Uh, brings one of his sons with him to play quarterback. The other son's staying there at Jackson State. Interestingly enough, already putting together a staff. 
Kent State's head coach just left to go be his offensive coordinator. Willie Taggart's going to be on the staff as a position coach. Wild. Uh, defensive analyst slash like co-coordinator at Alabama is probably potentially leaving to be the defensive coordinator for Colorado now. All kinds of crazy news with Colorado after this move. They've, I know you, you sent me an article where they changed the rules on transfers. Mm. Yeah. With, yeah, Coach Prime coming in. What a, what a name. Imagine if you go around right. nicknamed Coach Prime. I'm Coach Prime. Um, <laughs> you know, it's my thing. Hi, I'm Coach Jadwell. It's another thing to walk into a recruit's uh, lounge room and say, hey, I'm Coach Prime. Um, so, yeah, the Colorado apparently have had sneakily sort of stringent transfer guidelines and, and stuff like that. So they're changing that, which makes all the sense in the world for both parties. One, I don't think you go to a place like that if you're Coach Prime, um, you know, because it's going to impact your ability to recruit the kind of players you want to recruit and vice versa. You don't hire a coach like Prime only to then hamstring them with, you know, right. Imagine imagine Deion Sanders trying to coach a place like Stanford. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or like, uh, he's the new head coach at Princeton. Good luck. (laughs) No, it's exactly, and that's you got to you got to let these guys play to their skill set. You know, I remember reading Meat Market um, by Bruce Feldman about uh, Ed Ogeron at Ole Miss, and even then, you know, Ole Miss had kind of a stringent sort of um, I can't remember if it's quality, you know, control, someone overseeing, you know, the recruiting stuff, and they were Mm -hmm. eternally butting heads. It's like if you're going to hire a dude to be an ace recruiter, got to let him fly. Let me fly. Other power five. Uh, oh yeah, I, I know you're talking about. What's that cop movie? Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I'm a swan or I'm a phoenix, whatever it is. I'm, I'm, so, I'm, a peacock. I'm a peacock. You gotta help me That's fly. the one. I'm a peacock. Um, <laughs> the other shit. guys. Yes. Mark Wahlberg and Will Ferrell. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Aim for the bushes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> In other Power 5 coaching news, Scott Satterfield has left the University of Louisville for really what feels like a lateral move here to go to Cincinnati. Now, I understand he's been on the hot seat at times at Louisville. He has very publicly expressed interest in other jobs while the head coach at Louisville. There's also turnover in the athletic department there. I kind of understand it. At the same time, he didn't tell anybody. Everyone in the program found out this morning on Twitter, like the rest of us. Wild. Wild. Uh, What makes this even more fun is that Louisville and Cincinnati are very historic rivals. They play for the keg of nails every time they meet up. And this year, they're actually playing against each other in a bowl game. The Fenway Bowl where they're going to share a sideline. This is <laughs> holy so moly. wild. This is amazing. Uh, so Satterfield's doing the only logical thing here, and he's going to recuse himself from coaching in the bowl game for either team. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. 
but he's going to Cincinnati. So leaving the ACC for the Big 12, they're already tearing up the AAC logo on the Cincinnati field in favor of the Big 12 logo. Um, yeah, This does not feel like a promotion at all. It feels like he was trying to escape a situation. Yeah, and really weird sort of stuff because preseason this year, there was a lot of talk about the class that they were building in 2023. I remember, right. you know, badgering you guys about it almost incessantly going, look at these <laughs> players they're getting. And, you know, there was sort of some talk around, like, was there sort of like an NIL war chest kind of being built? And so then, like, what's happening here? What's the situation he's trying to get away from? Were, were they looking to upgrade, you know, because I know there was some dissatisfaction after he took that interview. And then, you know, one thing right. you got to be as a coach is a really good liar. And he wasn't a very good liar. He came <laughs> forward and said he took the interview. And like that seemed to start some fractures, but this is a really weird situation um, because there's sort of some sort of not conflicting stories, but it doesn't all add up right, to me. Right, and yeah. some Louisville players have come out and said that he's not a very good guy anyway. So this kind of checks with his character. Uh, I don't know him personally. I don't want to dive too deep into that one. I guess we'll leave it right mm. there. Uh, yeah. Next up, speaking of Coach Chadwell, what a name, by the way. It is a great name. Uh, but Jamie Chadwell is taking a... I don't know, $4 million a year raise to go down a conference uh, from the Sunbelt to Conference USA. <laughs> uh, Liberty, as a private school, can do whatever they feel like it. So they don't have to answer to state governing bodies, and they decided that they want to have a good football team now. And they're going to throw money at Jamie Chadwell. So kind of can't blame him. At the same time, it really felt like what he was building there at Coastal Carolina was special and i was hoping he would stay maybe another season or two and really wait for that right power five opportunity if he wanted to move on but you know we've seen uh hugh freeze just got another sec opportunity after liberty so power five opportunities still await if he is successful that means coastal carolina had an opening they turned to nc state offensive coordinator tim beck He's been an offensive coordinator for a couple of different schools now. Stops at Texas and Ohio State before taking over NC State this year. Um, kind of a down year for NC State. I'm willing to chalk that one up to injuries, though. Devin Leary didn't play the whole year. So he's been successful in the past. We'll see what he can do. It's probably going to be a changeup of offensive styles, though. Jamie Chadwell was running something of a modified triple option and Tim Beck is very much mm. more of a pro style coordinator. We'll see, but both of these moves very close to one another and very closely related kind of felt like they deserved to slide together. But what do you think about both these moves? First of all, I'm pretty sure Jamie Chadwell used to rock a killer mullet. And I think you should bring that back. This, yeah, this I don't think he simple. ever did just uh coastal oh, Carolina okay. as a whole, the players, started that trend and then we had uh that 2020 season the covid year there was a makeup game with uh byu that they ended up scheduling it was norman's first mullets 
<laughs> well, he needs to rock one. That's that's all I'm saying. I think he needs to. We, the, the sport would be better with more coaches with mullets. Um, I think this is a great move for Liberty and yeah. in a strange way could be a great move for Chadwell, obviously financially, but I feel like Liberty has the opportunity to kind of like outspend everybody in that conference. Absolutely. Um, so he's he's now going to be able to compile results at a ridiculous clip. You you would you would be expecting them to be instantly, you know, competing for that conference title. And, and I wonder what he's then looking to parlay that into. You know, if we can dominate with this offense, I have, you know. I'm assuming he can probably pay his his coaching staff more at Liberty, all that sort of thing. Um, yeah, if this turns into results, which you would very much expect it to, then what are the next vacancies coming open in places like the SEC, um, where where he might look to be jumping in another Ooh. three seasons? I just thought of a great one. Uh, mm-hmm. Mac Brown's going to have to retire eventually. That North Carolina spot would be very interesting. I don't know if Definitely. he's willing to stay in the Carolinas. Been there for a little while now. Uh, of course, Coastal's in South Carolina, but you know, went to Virginia, sandwich himself there on the <laughs> East Coast. Be fun. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't uh, know that much as far as the Tim Beck hire. Um, yeah. you, you would know more than me to comment, but yeah, I have sort of followed Coastal Carolina a little bit and Liberty as well. So, yeah, I think I think although it could be you know a lateral or backward step in terms of conference competition maybe that's actually going to help build the resume if he can turn liberty into an absolute powerhouse true. in the cusa um that is yeah true. it might look that's favorable on the disgusting resume. and i hate that but also yeah probably very true <laughs> Because he's now now he's going to have to face like uh, Sam Houston State and Jacksonville State when they come up to the FBS level instead of having to play mm-hmm. Marshall and South Alabama and Troy and Appalachian State. Uh, the fun belts for real, folks. <laughs> yeah. Jamie Chadwell couldn't handle it anymore. No, had to get out. Uh, <laughs> and one of the teams leaving, Conference USA, for the American here, Florida Atlantic. Gets their new head coach, Tom Herman, who's been out of coaching last season. But, you know, you probably remember this guy as the former Texas head coach. Honestly, one of the more successful Texas head coaches since Mac Brown left. Won four bowl games there, including a New Year's Six Bowl that people very quickly forget about because everyone assumes he was awful because he got fired. Um Really wasn't that bad there. And Houston also got a New Year's Six Bowl when he was there. Pretty decent head coach. Uh, a little unfair, if you're looking at the slide, watching the slide on Twitch, a little unfair to have a head coach taller than the entire stadium. But <laughs> I think it could work. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, I've heard there's rumors he's looking for the Giants gig in the NFL, if that ever comes open again. Um, I, I, well, it's I, a cultural I think this is... Then. <laughs> that's right that's right really fits the culture um i i think this is a really good hire for for fau um Absolutely. and another you know uh 
another patron of the Wayne Kiffin School of Coaching Image Rehabilitation. Like Kiffin parlayed, you know, a gig at FAU straight into the gig at Ole Miss. I agree with you. Like with Tom Herman, you look at Steve Sarkeesian now at Texas, you know, who was meant to take Texas. They're, they're back, man. He's right. had his struggles as well. Like I think the Texas job is hard. Yeah, yeah, you can acquire talent, but it sounds like a hell of a lot more work. Um, you know, right? I feel like half the job is trying to appease the, the oil tycoons more than coaching yeah, football. I think, <laughs> I think this is a great fit. And hey, like you know, two seasons from now, we might be surprised to see Tom Herman's name pop up at a really nice job, um, just like Lane Kiffin. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Tom Herman for Texas A&M once they fire Jimbo. <laughs> yeah, once they get that buyout down to a workable $60 million. Right. <laughs> and then he'll be bought out by, like, uh, West Virginia. It'll be great. <laughs> uh, but staying down in Florida, the USF Bulls get their guy in Alex Golsh. A uh, cool story, actually. He was born in Moscow in the Soviet Union. His family moved to wow. Ohio when he was a very young boy. Uh, never played football, but he got a graduate assistant job at Ohio State. Parlayed that into some position coach jobs at Toledo and at Illinois before becoming co-offensive coordinator for Josh Heupel down at UCF and then followed Josh Heupel up to Tennessee to become the full-on, no-co-attached, the full-blown offensive coordinator. And we saw how great of a job he did this season. I mean, Hendon Hooker played lights out. I mean, that Tennessee offense, number one in the country by a lot this year. Mm -hmm. uh, pretty, pretty good hire, I would say, for the Bulls here. Uh, hoping it works out. We've seen some coordinators not pan out the way they did as coordinators. But Golsh seems like a strong candidate, and I hope he does work. I'm rooting for the Bulls. Yeah, and it's an easy sell to Bulls fans, I imagine. We're taking, hey, right. you know, did you enjoy watching the Tennessee offense this year? <laughs> well, <laughs> we're going to try know. to do that. Like, it, <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's one of these things for, for different programs that are trying to, you know, raise the prominence, raise the the watchability, the, the recruiting ability of, 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 you know, their team. It's like, can you run a fun offense? That is definitely a right. way to put, you know, bums in seats, to get recruits in, because you're going to be able to try and get draftable numbers for people. You know, if you can start churning out, you know, big number wide receivers, you know, same with quarterbacks, that sort of thing. I mean, even if it's not from USF to the draft, if you're a quarterback who can play there at USF for a few years and then parlay that into a, you know, a transfer to a bigger program for your final season of eligibility or something, I think this is a great move. I think anytime you can make your team more watchable, more enjoyable as a product, um, that's, that's, that's a big tick from me. So, oh yeah, I like this hire. I look forward to seeing how it works out for him. So I said he was a co-offensive coordinator down at UCF with Josh Heupel. The other co-offensive coordinator at UCF under Josh Heupel also got a new head coaching job this cycle. G.J. Kinney 
was the head coach at Incarnate Word down in the FCS this season. Now they're in the playoffs. He's going to stay with UIW through the playoffs. But as soon as that's done, as soon as Incarnate Word gets knocked out, he's heading, I don't know, an hour north to San Marcos, <laughs> right in between San Antonio and Austin there, uh, to become the head coach at Texas State. That Josh Heupel coaching tree already branching out. Pretty fascinating. A uh, very young guy. He turned, I believe he turned 34 the day this was announced. So wow. <laughs> Texas State getting a young offensive mind. Surprised in a sense that they went that direction because that's been the last two head coaches they've tried. But also, mm. G.J. Kenny looks like a pretty good one to me. Hey, third, third time's the charm. And like... Right. The the swag swag meter is off the charts here. If you look at the the, the get up on him, like it, it it's the swag just oozing um, out of this yeah, guy. So my, man, like, my man's got drip. That's <laughs> that's the whitest way I could have said that too. So good. That's that's right. Yeah, but no, like yeah, like I can't say that I know a ton about this dude. I can't say I even know a ton about Texas State, but what I would say is I'm all for moving towards again, making your program fun. If you like the off offense they run, putting up points is enjoyable right. to a fan base. Yes, they want you to win games, but if you can put up 35 points a game, uh, you get something to cheer about when your team has the ball. Um, so from that point of view, I like it. So we do have to talk about the jobs that are still open here on the coaching carousel. Now Tulsa technically still open. It's not been officially announced yet. I say that uh, for a reason. Uh, it's definitely seems like Ohio state offensive coordinator, Kevin Wilson has already signed a deal to become Tulsa's next head coach. There has been no announcement. We like to hold off on making, you know, that part of the news unless we know for sure. And Kent State just came open an hour ago. So <laughs> this is a very up-to-date list. Yeah. Uh, but I did a tier list of all the open jobs last week. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on, you know, what's your – if you had to pick the litter, let's say, which opportunity do you think has the best resources, best opportunity, best chance to win quickly? Um, what do you think about these open jobs? Of course, we're looking at UNLV, Western Michigan, Stanford, Tulsa still technically, uh, North Texas, Louisville now as of this morning, and Kent State as of an hour ago. Yeah, well, look, I, if I if I was a young coach, if I'm a, a 32-year-old head coach looking for an opportunity um somewhere i can go and win and recruit that's that's a big thing for me where can i go and recruit and be supported to right. recruit because talent acquisition is a massive part of the sport obviously you've got to be able to coach but if you can get talented players um that makes the job a lot easier definitely um so from, from there i'm definitely counting out stanford i don't think mm -hmm. that's a particularly attractive job for, for me, um, maybe financially and that sort of thing, but I think it's really hard to recruit, you know, at, at Stanford to the same level as some other teams. Yeah. I would probably 
be looking at, I'm trying to think if it was UNLV that I had heard was about to get an influx of cash That's and money. I had heard, I had heard some rumors. Look, I'd probably go with either UNT or Louisville. Um, I think Louisville, you know, you're going to be able to, you know, compete in the ACC. Clemson is still obviously the power of the division, but you know, they've, they've been shaky. They've been shaky. I don't think it's that hard to climb in the ACC. If you're clever about it, if you can recruit, if there is NIL money there and, and that sort of thing, I think you can make that into an attractive program. Um, but yeah, those sort of two, I think I would be looking at is Louisville or UNT. And I'd be seeing if these rumors about UNLV are true about them potentially trying to upgrade the football program. What about you? Am I, am I totally insane? No, as far as group of five jobs go, North Texas and their dedication to winning is kind of unmatched. It's almost unheard of. Mm-hmm. So they went to the Conference USA title game this past weekend lost it and fired their head coach because of it. They were like, we're not getting the results we're expecting because of the resources that we're putting into this. It's the best mm. uh, facilities in the conference by a long shot. I mean, Liberty's going to try to compete with that now, but North Texas is yeah. doing a bang up job of really trying to build a quality program. At the same time, that makes that a very difficult job because the expectations are so high. Mm. I would say of these options, I mean, Louisville is probably up there for sure. I don't know. I like that Tulsa spot though. That would be very tempting for me. It looks like that one is filled with uh, Kevin Wilson, but if Tulsa is still on the board, I'd be calling him up. Just me personally. I don't know. I don't have a really great reason why to be honest with you. It's just, yeah. Sometimes it's just a vibe. <laughs> yeah, it's a vibe. Uh, but we do have one move in the FCS level as well. Of course, we love to talk about these when they happen, but it's a little bit slower to develop, a lot more relationship building down here. Uh, Danny Rocco is the new head coach for the Virginia Military Institute. Now, this is very awesome for VMI because it looks like they're finally dedicated to winning on the football field. Uh, We talked about it a lot on the show in 2020 was the first time they ever made the FCS playoffs. And now they're hiring a head coach who's done that quite a few times, seven and five in his career in the FCS playoffs and 121 and 65 across all of his stints at Liberty when they were still an FCS school. Richmond and Delaware at various points in his career. I also got to say, he looks very good to be 62 years old. <laughs> Rock on, man. <laughs> Telling me. <laughs> he, um, he's taken whatever Jim Harbaugh is taking, or John Harbaugh. Right. Rather. <laughs> but he, yeah, very experienced head coach. And I am very impressed with this move for VMI, actually. It looks like they're really dedicated to putting a good product on the field. And Danny Rocco certainly a guy who can get that done for you. Great name, too. It's being a coach prime, Coach Rocco. Right. <laughs> like, works for me. <laughs> Definitely. 
Uh, but let's go ahead and jump to the games that we all picked because we picked all of them. Conference championship games. I, I guess that's not entirely true. There were two that we didn't pick. Uh, Buffalo had a makeup game. They had to cancel that regular season matchup against Akron because of weather. And then they won against Akron last this past weekend to become bowl eligible. Let's go, Buffalo. Uh, and New Mexico State also had a makeup game. They had one canceled when San Jose State had a tragedy on campus and canceled their game. Uh, we talked about that at the time. But New Mexico State got to play FCS Valparaiso and smoked them. And New Mexico State's now 6-6 six and six as well. Also got a waiver to become bowl eligible because they were they had two wins against FCS opponents at that point. So they're in a bowl game, which is very cool. Um, but we didn't pick those. We picked all of the rest of them. Um, I had a comfortable lead at the start of this week. This first slide doesn't start me off very well to hold on to that lead, but we'll see how it goes. Um, Conference USA, we already talked a little bit about this. North Texas did lose to UTSA uh, pretty significantly as well. UTSA kind of had to control this thing the entire way. Frank Harris is an incredible quarterback. 341 yards and four touchdowns only through the air. Uh, three of those also went to Zachary Franklin, who I highlighted as a prospect to watch not that long ago. Very proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> Watch out for Zachary Franklin in the NFL draft out of UTSA. Beautiful. Yeah, I um, I think I picked all these games. Likewise, I think I've picked. I picked all the championship games. So, so it was another good exercise in college pickums. Um, I'm interested to see with Frank Harris. Is he UTSA's quarterback next season? Or is there the potential that he tries to springboard via the transfer portal and up his draft stock? I don't know much about him, um, apart from the fact that I know he's had an incredible season. Uh, and I right. just wonder if there's going to be another team that comes knocking with a big NIL deal to say, hey, for one year, we would love to pick you up, sort of thing. Gosh, imagine him leading Cincinnati in their first season in the Big 12 and just dominating. Or Houston, actually. Let's keep him in state. Uh, yeah. A lot of fun possibilities yeah. there. Uh, also, for UTSA's sake, it'd be cool if he stayed. Let's state that. Sure, sure. yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. The MAC Championship, <laughs> Toledo versus Ohio. Uh, I did take an upset pick here, trying to go with Ohio, even though Rourke was out, C.J. Harris had played pretty well the previous week. I was really hoping for Ohio. Um, yeah, Toledo won, and they were favored. It it makes sense. That's all right. It wasn't that bad. It was 17-7. to seven. Just C.J. Harris did not play well. <laughs> so <laughs> hard to win yeah, a game when your quarterback doesn't show up. <laughs> if they had Rourke in. I, I took Ohio as well, True. and I knew Rourke wasn't playing, but I um I went with them regardless. Um, yeah, Toledo obviously getting the job done, but low scoring, low scoring game, 24 yeah. points. Um, I reckon Rourke puts up more than seven, put it that way. I would bet so as well. Uh, very opposite of a low scoring game, UCF at Tulane. Tulane showed up big time for this one. 45-28, uh, 
really sealed this with a huge fourth quarter, though. Uh, Michael Pratt, by the way, underrated. Haven't really talked about him as a quarterback all season. And then he just shows up and throws 400 yards and four touchdowns. As Tulane wins their first conference title since the 1960s. And, of course, that would mean their first American conference title as well. Uh, Awesome. Awesome performance by the entire Tulane team. I I remember specifically, I turned on this game. It was like Doreen Williams was making plays. The Tulane offense was rolling. No problems. I was like, all right. It's it's over. <laughs> UCF can't do anything about this. Literal green wave of offense. <laughs> yeah, it's cra- crazy sort of stuff because I remember we previewed the last time that these two teams played, one of the last podcasts right. I was on here, and, and we talked about it, and I, I was high on Tulane and UCF sort of, I mean, I wouldn't say decimated them. I think it was 37-30 or something, but they ran all over them. Well, Tulane obviously was saying, we're not letting that happen again. They, they held UCF. I mean, I say held, they, they rushed for 145 yards. That's relatively quiet compared to UCF's normal standards this season. Tulane stacked up 254 yards rushing on the ground, 10.1 yards per play for the green wave. Incredible. Incredible stuff. That's a first down every single time you snap the ball on average. That's yeah. wild. <laughs> yeah. Wild. Yeah. That does not happen. That's uh that's Tennessee offense this year kind of offense. <laughs> UCF went for it ten times on fourth down. That is also wild, but also not that surprising because it's Gus Malzahn and he's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> well, they got seven of them. They went, they went 13 of 33 on drive extending down. They, wow. they had 23 third down situations, converted Jeez. six of them, but then converted seven of 10 on fourth down. <laughs> That's very Gus Malzahn. <laughs> yeah. Next up, we do have the Sun Belt Championship, Coastal Carolina at Troy in Alabama. Um, I saw somebody on Twitter saying, you know, we've seen this year there's definitely a bump when you get an interim head coach, everybody loves rallying for the new guy, but there has to be a correlation there where it's the, we know our head coach is leaving. He just hasn't said anything about it yet. If this was that type of performance for coastal Carolina, there was all the talk out there. Chadwell had already signed with Liberty and uh, coastal Carolina did not show up very well. 45, 26 is your final score. But also, Coastal Carolina put up two touchdowns in the fourth quarter to make this at least somewhat respectable. Troy dominated the first three quarters of this game, no doubt about it. Yeah, and I've heard through the different podcasts and stuff I listen to that Troy's defensive staff could be targets for for other positions, uh, other coaching positions, you know, not too far down the line. People have been pretty impressed with how Troy has played defensively. Um, yeah, I was disappointed. I took Coastal in this game. I thought they'd put up more of a fight than this. But as you say, like just like the dead cat bounce is real, where teams bounce back after you know with the new head coach. There seems to be something to this, particularly in college. I don't know if you get this as much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In, in the NFL, I don't know if it happens as much, but. 
you know, I think when it gets to college kids of like, this guy's out the door, you see it so often. Yeah. A shame for old Miss. They obviously bought the uh, media talk, the kids, because they played like Kiffin was out the door. True. Um, so, and that yeah, cost them a yeah. chance for the SEC. <laughs> yeah. But whew. exactly. All right. So the Mountain West also had a conference title game this weekend between two teams that felt very different. Uh, <laughs> man, the first half of the season compared to the second half of the season for both of these teams, very different stories. You know, Fresno State kind of walking into this one eight and four, no success out of conference. Boise State walking into this one nine and three, almost no success out of conference. And uh, it felt like everything kind of turned around for both of them as they headed into conference play. Now, one of the issues for Fresno State, their quarterback, Jay Kaner, was hurt for part of the season. That really affected them. He's a fantastic quarterback. But Boise State really felt like they had something going. They had a lot of momentum coming into this one. We all picked Boise State. Fresno State's defense won them this game. Very impressive. 28-16 is your final score there. The Bulldogs win the Mountain West in Jeff Tedford's first season back. Jake Hayner is a beast. Absolute beast. 72.6% of his passes completed this year. 18 touchdowns, three picks. He's only played in the nine games um, this year. He threw 33 touchdowns last season. Right. would be thinking this guy is a potential draft prospect. Um, like, he he's played so well. And I think it was Fresno State v. UCLA last season, which was an absolute slobber knocker between him and um, mm. Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Um, I actually picked Fresno State in this game because of Jake Hayner. Sometimes I just, if I'm not quite sure, I'll just pick the team that I think has the quarterback advantage. And well, that was know, definitely Fresno State. Off. But wow, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm just impressed with this defense. I gotta say, so I took uh, one of their defensive players as my prospect to watch this week. He did personally didn't show up, but he's on the defensive line, so I'll take credit for it anyway because it all starts in the trenches. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now you got to take credit where you can. <laughs> So then in the Power Five, uh, start us off with the Friday night game, Utah-USC. We all took USC on this show. Uh, I think everyone in the world took USC in this game, including USC, and they played like it. They, they thought they were going to win, and Utah smacked them in the mouth a couple of times and ended up running away with this one. It was a lot closer than this for a long while. Ended up being 47-24 Utah with back-to-back Pac-12 titles. This game played out so similarly in some ways to the first time they met where USC jumps out to a big lead. You know, they're up 17-3 or something early on. The injury to Caleb Williams, there was a lot of focus on his hand. That You know, mm-hmm. that oh, he hurt his hand, he hurt his hand. He was limping around after right. one of those long runs. Well, and, he, he was getting you know, sacked in ways that he just wasn't in the regular season. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, the Pac-12 is going to Pac-12. You know, yeah, they essentially... Right. I, I called... I used to call the Big 12 the um, 
the conference of cannibals. And that's what the PAC 12 has been this year. Every time it's like, Oh, they might've actually managed to manufacture a, a playoff contender here. Someone would cannibalize them. And that's basically what Utah did. You know, they, they've taken down USC. They've knocked them out of, you know, playoff, the playoff spot and credit to Utah because a lot of people thought it was potentially going to be a hard year for them that they lost some talent. And, you know, I, I think, it's a fitting little um, sign of resistance to Lincoln Riley's USC of like, you're not just going to come in here and run this conference. You know, there's still some All big right. bad teams Beat them twice in, in the same year. That's <laughs> yeah. That's a great send off. Yep. I wish USC were leaving for the big 10 this offseason <laughs> now. After this. <laughs> It'd be like well, storybook made... ending. Someone made the point too of like, you know, USC has really struggled against teams like Utah that play the style of ball that Utah plays. And right. it's like, you're going to a conference now that plays, plays a bit that more style. of that. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, they had a very tough game against Oregon State too, playing that physical style of defense first, smacky in the mouth type of football. And if they run into Iowa and Michigan State, and dare I say it, sometimes, uh, even Rutgers anymore can really hit you. I don't know how they're going to do in those northern climates. Now, I assume they're going to out-talent a school like Rutgers, but sometimes you can't mm. out-talent a school like Minnesota or a school like Michigan State. Yeah. So, very, very interesting move there, for sure. Uh, but that's a couple of years out yet. In the meantime, we had Kansas State against TCU in the Big 12 championship. Bug and I took... The Hypnotoads felt obligated. It felt like the team of destiny. Uh, Tug took Kansas State, and I was surprised at this for a little bit, but then I realized TCU won in the regular season. It's very hard to beat a team twice in the same year. And TCU almost pulled it off, which again says to me they're definitely one of the best teams in college football. <laughs> But it wasn't overtime yeah. loss. Kansas State pulled this one out, 31-28. Fantastic football game. Yeah, it was it was an amazing game. I uh, watched on the edge of my seat um, multiple times where I thought, oh, they're, you know, the Horn Frogs, they're done. They're done. They've fallen down by 11 points again or whatever, or, you know, threw an interception or there was a fumble to Quentin Johnson at one point on a deep completion in the first half. And he was just like, this stuff, we're, there's no way we're getting back into this game and credit to them their their depth of self-belief that they will just find a way to will them back in and you know they had the ball in my opinion in the end zone in overtime um you know the i, I believe he crossed the plane the the running back there but it's it's the way it goes sometimes you don't get those things TCU had enough chances to have won this several times over. Love Max Duggan to bits. Brilliant quarterback, brilliant leader. Um, Going to be sad to see him go. But he was upset after the game and people saying, you know, really upset about the result, which he would be. But I think he would know too. He was probably a little bit upset at himself too because there were throws, a couple that come to mind in the first half that were man open, down the same sprint in touchdown. And he yeah. overthrew them. And it's those little misses in a game that you lose by three points. Um, it's the fumble, as I said, from Quentin Johnson. 
you know, which you don't normally see him make. He was trying to make extra yards after the catch on a long completion from Duggan and it came out. Kansas State got the ball. It's just those things. I was impressed with Kansas uh, with TCU's defense because they faced a really physical Kansas State team and TCU actually, you know, for large stretches of the game, played really well against the run. Obviously, you know, going up against Juice Vaughn, he's just going to break plays from time to time. But I was impressed with the Frogs' ability to match the physicality and to work themselves back in this game. And credit to K-State. It was a hell of a game. Absolutely. Their reward is facing Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. So good luck, Wildcats. (laughs) Uh, Next up, we have the SEC title game, LSU against Georgia. Brian Kelly's first year in the SEC has to be chalked up as a success for sure. Uh, but they still got rocked by the Georgia Bulldogs. 50 to 30 is your final score. Georgia went for two on their last touchdown to make it a 50 point game just because they could, which I kind of respect. Not going to lie. <laughs> Gangster. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, no surprises here. Georgia was the better team, definitely. And made things a little bit easier for the playoff committee, not having to shuffle anybody at the top of the board. Yeah, and, and you know, that was the opening touchdown came on a blocked field goal that Georgia picked up and LSU thought it was dead and, and Georgia ran it back for the opening score of the game and you just sort of knew from there, right. oh, this is how this right. is going to go. Like, and, and there was a point made on something I was listening to the other day, you know, saying, like, Sonny Dykes definitely should be in contention for, say, coach of the year. There's a couple of guys around college football. I think Kirby Smart deserves a lot of credit. He lost an incredible caliber of player last year, and not just one or two, you know, like a lot of players. Like a record and they've come of back picks off of the same team. Yeah. How many teams can, can turn around from that sort of loss of talent and, and just back it up again? Um, did he lose both coordinators as well? I think he may have lost his defensive coordinator. Um, uh, defensive coordinator is now the head coach of Oregon, Dan Lanning. Um, yeah. Honestly, couldn't tell you who their offensive coordinator is for the life of me. Yeah, I, so, I so know, like that's but... <laughs> a lot to lose. And right. then to turn around and go 13-0 and again. They're impressive. They're very, very impressive. Next up in the Big Ten, we had Purdue against the team up north. I couldn't bring myself to pick my rival, <laughs> uh, personal vendetta. I can't do it as a point of principle. Also, wild. Um, I went to this game on a whim. Oh, nice. Because uh, Indianapolis is like a two-hour drive directly north of me. So why not? And it was a sea of maize and blue, and I was in Ohio State gear. And I'm just glad I didn't get in a fight. But uh, also very glad that I left at halftime because Purdue made it a very much a game in the first half. And then the second half was very much not a game anymore. <laughs> uh, the better team did win 43-22. Uh, Purdue valiant effort. Uh, not enough. Yeah, and really just um, failure in the red zone, you know, they, right. they had Absolutely. plenty of opportunities. They, they moved the ball really nicely, you know, for, for large stretches. 
Oh, that was the toughest part. It felt like come up would have been up two, three scores at halftime. They just couldn't get it in. Absolutely. And, and so, you know, as a Frogs fan, it does give you a little bit of thought, well, if Purdue can move the ball on them, who knows? True. Maybe we can move the ball on them. I don't know. Like, um, But the ability to finish um, drives was just massive. The Purdue couldn't run the ball. 90 yards on 37 carries. Michigan did run the ball. Um, they only threw 17 times. Michigan, a um, couple of turnovers as well for the spoiler makers. It didn't help. What, um, but they had One game. really bad Michigan. interception and one that was like, wow, I can't believe that was intercepted. <laughs> it was like a couple of plays like that where it's just <laughs> – Purdue got out talented a little bit realistically here. At the same time, I don't know. They were moving the ball the, relatively well in the first half, at least. But you saw it too. Like Five one of the biggest goals. differences. One of the biggest differences between a upper echelon college football team and a team like Purdue is just the depth on that roster. I mean, we were watching it live. You can't necessarily always see it on TV, but live, you can see the team up north was rotating like four or five defensive players every other snap. Well, Purdue doesn't have the depth to be able to do that, so their guys are tired by the second half. They can't keep up. And so that's a real way where the teams like Georgia, like the team up north, like Ohio State, like TCU at some points, can just wear you down and out-talent you. And that's why that's the upper echelon of college football this season. Very impressive, honestly. I just also hate them, and so I'm about to puke and let's move on. Uh, (laughs) Because the last championship game in the Power Five, the ACC title game, Clemson against North Carolina. We we had no faith in the North Carolina defense uh, as much as – Drake May is a fun quarterback to watch at times. Clemson's definitely the more talented team, and they did win here. Cade Klubnik had to come in. Didn't really do a lot. A lot of this was put on Will Shipley. At the same time, Clemson beat him 39-10. to Not really any doubt in this one the entire way. Yeah, this was a beatdown. Um, and you've never seen Dabo Sweeney this season look so pleased. Um, right. Finally, with, a sigh know, of relief that, from him <laughs> after just yeah, and, and like uh, Klubnik comes in, goes twenty of twenty four for two hundred and seventy nine yards. A so actually did more no- than JJ McCarthy. I should give him more credit, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And, and even if you look at Will Shipley, he actually only had seven carries, 18 yards, and a touchdown. Um, it, I don't know, man. Didn't... I felt like I felt like they yeah. were on the ball. Maybe I'm losing my Me mind too. on the carries, <laughs> but it felt like they were just ground and pound. I don't know. Yeah. and At the same time, the this, was, this was going on while I was in Indianapolis, so I didn't see the first half. I'll be real. <laughs> True. <laughs> well, their defense showed up in a big way, and, and and like on special teams, I'm trying to think they they definitely had scores. Um, they they intercepted Drake May twice. Um, mm. I was trying to think if they had a special team score and a defensive score, but whatever it was, like there was turnovers, 
It was a I mess. Mean, like we said with the Browns, you get a couple of defensive scores, get a special team score. That's pretty unbeatable at that point. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and so I think Clemson fans will be going into next season thinking, and I don't think it's fair to say, oh, well, if we had to play Cade Klubnik all year, he's also had a year to sit and watch and learn. And you come in against a really bad UNC defense. So we'll see how it goes next year. But I, I, yeah, I I think, you know, good on Clemson for winning, but you know, it's a pretty weak, a, you know, ACC that they've won this year, really for, for, for UNC to be the second best team in the conference. Yeah. DJ Uyunglele is transferring, so we will have a Cade Klubnik show next season. But UCLA. that's it for that's it for uh, all of the FBS. Let's get out of that nonsense and talk about some FCS football. <laughs> that's where the real fun happens. Where I did much better. Going to be leaning picks. heavily on you, yeah. Unfortunately, everybody else did too. <laughs> uh, so this wow. is the second round of the playoffs. Which means now we have you know, the first round is technically unseeded, uh, and then the second round, the unseeded winners face off against the top eight seeds in the playoffs. Uh, for the most part, actually, I think all eight of the seeded teams won this round. Uh, none of the other <laughs> none of the other teams were able to pull it out. Um, so let's start off with Holy Cross here. Holy Cross was undefeated in the regular season. They not getting a whole lot of respect. The Patriot League is not very respected as far as being traditional football powers. Uh, so even as 11 and 0 Patriot champions, they weren't getting a whole lot of love here. A lot of people had picked New Hampshire to win this one. We all went with Holy Cross. We saw them play a couple of times. The Crusaders looked pretty dang strong to us. And they do win this one in a nasty weather game, 34-19. to 19. Strong performance by the Purple Crusaders. Very fun. New TCU coming. Yeah, what there. a game. That's good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, more purple required. More purple. The Purple Crusaders is nice. Um I like it. I enjoy it greatly. Next up, <laughs> we were talking about G.J. Kinney getting that Texas State job. He is still the head coach at Incarnate Word and will stay there for at least one more round of the FCS playoffs as they do beat Furman, knocking out that purple team. Uh, in a very offensive game, Incarnate Word 41-38 to 38 over Furman here. Uh, Lindsey Scott Jr. threw for... 394 yards and five touchdowns. Uh, <laughs> we love Lindsey Scott Jr. on this show. Uh, Got to say, if he goes down, this team will be absolute dog water. Uh, but he's healthy and playing, so they're rolling. <laughs> That's kind of how this works right now. <laughs> um, yeah, very much looking forward to see Incarnate Word heading into the next round. This is a surprising team. When the head coach and quarterback both left for Washington State last season, you know Cam Ward now with Wazoo. I still have Cam Ward merch for the first year of NIL. <laughs> um, but 
Lindsey Scott Jr. came in, G.J. Kenny came in, and they have kept the train rolling in San Antonio. Very impressive. Any any chance that Lindsey Scott makes a move to Texas State? I've got no idea about like what his eligibility and that sort of thing is. He has been in college for a. like eight years or something now. It's crazy. Yeah, uh, he's okay. he's definitely going to be going to the XFL. That's that's my bet. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, where he will be electric and some NFL team will wish they had him. That's that's also my bet. Uh, next up, William and Mary, the CAA champions, taking on Gardner-Webb, uh, winning the Southland, but with a couple of losses on the resume as well. We talked about this quite a bit last week. Gardner-Webb had three of their losses on the season coming against FBS opponents. So very battle-tested Gardner-Webb Bulldogs here. And they do beat Eastern Kentucky in the first round, but they fall to William and Mary. The tribe are simply too strong and powerful. Uh, the CAA is a very good conference. No doubt about it. I think it got overrated this year a little bit. I don't think New Hampshire or Delaware really should have gotten as much respect as they did necessarily. Um, maybe not New Hampshire. That was a bad example. New Hampshire was good this year. But Delaware especially probably got in over some other deserving teams because they're CAA. But William and Mary looks every bit the part and is the reason the CAA gets the respect that they do. Uh, 54 to 14. I don't think I said the final score yet for this one. But the Tribe do beat the Bulldogs. And so far, all three of us on the show, Bug, Doug, and Tug, we're all three for three on our picks this first round. <laughs> It's an incredible run. I'm trying to think William and Mary strikes me as maybe former college of Mike Tomlin and Sean McDermott. Ooh, I believe it's worth a Google in the head. background. I don't know. Yeah, I think they I were teammates him. at William and Mary. I'll I'll <laughs> Google it. But yeah, my poor blue chickens, my blue hens, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, the one FCS team that you root for got yeah. destroyed. <laughs> Uh, 42 to 6. South Dakota State does beat up on Delaware. Uh, SDSU was the number one seed in the entire playoffs. Big favorites the entire way. Extremely talented. Missouri Valley Football Conference generally has some of the best athletes in the entire FCS. And we saw it kind of get concentrated this year in just South Dakota State and North Dakota State. SDSU getting the number one overall seed because they were able to win in the Fargo. Dome um, kind of kind of looks like they deserved that <laughs> in this one. 42 to 6, kind of unreal. That, yeah, the Jackrabbits are pretty powerful, gotta say. What a beatdown. It seems like if it's not North Dakota State University in the FCS, it's South Dakota State. Like, Well, don't count out North Dakota State just yet. Uh, we'll see them on the next slide no. here. <laughs> <laughs> but let's start off with Weber State at Montana State. Now, we all picked Weber State to win this game for a very simple reason. When they played in the regular season, Montana State won on some bullshit. All right. Their <laughs> the long snapper for Weber State was out. They had a replacement long snapper who snapped the ball through their own end zone four different times for four safeties on the game. 
and Weber State lost by five. Oh my! God. The long snapper spotted the Bobcats eight points, and they still only lost by five. So we all took Weber State, saying they should have won the regular season. They're not going to let that happen to them again. Uh, Montana State took care of it. They really played like the better team all four all four quarters here. Actually, thirty three twenty five. Still just a one possession game there at the end, but yeah. Montana State looked pretty dang good. That's our first miss in the yeah, entire playoffs. Uh, the second round. You had a draft prospect, didn't you? Montana State. Out of, out of, out of Montana. Oh. Montana. Thought I was such yeah. a good student. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. We'll get but to Montana Tomlin, in a second. Tomlin and, Mc, and McDermott were teammates in 93 and oh, 94 geez. at William & Mary. There you go. Wow, right. that's cool. <laughs> I like learning things. Uh, Mike Tomlin, I what position did Mike Tomlin play? I can't even picture him playing. Why do I feel like he was a safety or something or a DB? Now I've got to Google again. I'll go back to well, Google. <laughs> okay, all right. I'll talk about southeastern Louisiana and Samford real quick. Uh, this was up there as the best matchup of the entire round alongside UIW and Furman, 48-42 in overtime. Samford pulls this one out. Southeastern Louisiana, man, they love getting into high-scoring shootout battles. Last week against Idaho and this week against Samford. Just this time they fall short in overtime. Uh, I mean, kind of incredible. Samford in overtime at QB draw that just – was wide open somehow. SLU couldn't stop it. And then they they got the stop on the first possession. So that, that QB draw gets them the six point win in overtime. Um, kind of kind of impressive. I I like Samford. I don't trust them to go too much further in this playoff after this performance. I also think the Lions are a pretty good team. So We'll see. I'm curious who their matchup's going to be. I don't know off the top of my head. So um, we will we'll pick that game Thursday, though, whoever they're playing. What do you got? Uh, they both played sort of wide receiver slash tight end. Oh, wow. Huh. Apparently. Well, maybe Sean McDermott. I know Tomlin did. Tomlin's listed as wide receiver slash tight end. Um, I'm not sure about McDermott. I haven't found him yet. This is what I add, don't you see? Like to the show, it's just like that's this, good. This wonderful... it's good stuff. Yeah, <laughs> trivia. There you go. Safety. McDermott played as a safety. Oh wow! There so you, you had him, had him almost backwards there. That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now for the matchup that you've been wanting to talk about for a little while, I guess. Uh, yeah. Former prospect to watch out for in Montana, heading to North Dakota State. Um, so I had expressed some concern for NDSU last time, last episode, because their main NFL prospect kind of guy on the offense, Hunter Lupke, is out with some knee problems, getting some second opinions, third opinions from out of state at this point. Um, didn't play. At the same time, Kobe Johnson ran for 206 yards and two touchdowns. So North Dakota State won. 
is 49-26. And yeah, North Coast State's still pretty good. What do you know? This is insane. I was just looking at the the box score for this. Uh, North Dakota State um, Bison's QB, Cam Miller, throws 6 of 10 for 58 yards and a pick. But they've got Johnson, who rushed 12 times for 206 yards and two touchdowns. Yep. Uh, Williams, 11 rushes, 101 yards and a touchdown. And Cam Miller, the QB, 81 yards on eight carries for two scores. Goodness me. Talk about ground and pound. A bit That's... different from the days of, like, Trey Lance when right. he was slinging it around. Right. That is a run-heavy team. Yeah. <laughs> no way to put you that. don't say. <laughs> and the last matchup of round two, we have the Sacramento State Hornets hosting the Richmond Spiders all the way across the country. And in a rainstorm, another weather game here, opposite ends of the country, though. Kind of interesting. Uh, Sacramento State gets their first ever win in the FCS playoffs. Kind of unbelievable. But they do win this wow. one 38-31. Uh, Richmond has been a pretty good team. We've been tracking them kind of all year as a ranked team, uh, basically the entire season. But Sacramento State feels like another level this year. For the most part, this season, that's been because of Cameron Scadabo. He didn't really do much in this game, though. Kind of held in check. They had a combination of quarterback play, Jake Dunaway and Asher O'Hara, same way they've been doing it all season. Uh, Dunaway stand in the pocket, not really that mobile. So they bring in Asher O'Hara when they need that scrambling ability. And both of them combined for a resounding Hornets win here. Biggest win in program history, I would say, because they're finally moving on to the next round of the FCS playoffs. Very cool. Yeah. Like, you know, 12 and 0. Um, and. Mm-hmm. Like a, a last quarter comeback, they held, know. you know, they were down, <laughs> right. a touch, down a touchdown, scored two touchdowns to none in the final quarter, survived three interceptions off Dunaway, who who had thirty nine pass attempts, one touchdown, three picks. That's that's an impressive win. Yeah, like obviously I'm not that familiar with these teams, but like what you're describing about a team that can't quite get over the hump, and almost may have done everything to not get over the hump <laughs> right. and throwing the three picks and being down. Like it feels like it could be a big weight off a team's shoulders to finally move on. I'll be, I'll be really interested to see how they play in the next round, whether this frees them up a bit of like, thank God we finally, we finally <laughs> moved on, you know, like it can happen sometimes like that. I, I definitely am going to buy into that. I'm going to pick Sacramento State the entire way now. so next up one more game left to pick because we have the SWAC championship game the only FCS conference title game Uh, Southern and Jackson State went at it once again we all picked Jackson State they beat them 35 to nothing in the regular season come on Uh, this one a little bit better for Southern but still 43 to 24 for Jackson State uh, congrats on 12 and 0 for the first time in school history. Jackson State and Coach Prime now, uh, now going to Colorado. Let's see what he can do with the Buffaloes. But Jackson State's got to be pretty, 
pretty happy about the results this season. So, like, you know, as you said, like undefeated, did you say for the first time in, in, in program history? history? Yes. Yep. It's yeah. it's interesting, isn't it? Like, the, the people, you know, sort of talking about, you know, well, Coach Prime, we know we can recruit and that sort of thing. We know we can. Well, geez, college football, you know, revolves around recruiting. You right. know, so if he can he can transform this program, Jackson State, like I can see why you would you can it's easy to believe that he can transform a program like Colorado. As someone who doesn't like follow a heap of the FCS side of things, has what Coach Prime done? And I'm only ever going to call him Coach Prime now. It's not Coach Sanders. It's Coach Prime. Um, <laughs> do you think what he's built at Jackson State is something that could be taken over and sustained? by somebody else is it is this a repeatable skill or or not i really don't think so in your opinion for two reasons first of all most of the players that came to jackson state didn't come there because it's jackson state they came there because it's coach Prime. yeah so now those kind of players aren't going to come to jackson state anymore uh which was a big reason they were winning they were truly out talenting i mean i've used that phrase a lot this episode but i think it's absolutely <laughs> true jackson state was doing that to a lot of teams in their conference this year that that's just not realistic to expect in the future now that for example the number one overall recruit in the country went to jackson state to play for Deion sanders uh that's just not going to happen <laughs> most likely yeah. most likely um and the other thing is Jackson State doesn't put a lot of money into their program. They don't have a lot of money for athletics. And a lot of the facility upgrades that happened to Jackson State were out of Coach Brown's own pocket. They didn't have a lot of a big pool for assistant coaches. They were only paying Deion Sanders like 300000 a year. You can't expect these kind of results to carry over when you can't deliver the kinds of things that a Deion Sanders gives you. The personality, the influx of cash, both of those things are extremely important, unfortunately, in college football. So I don't I I don't want to say it's impossible. You know, Jackson State, there are successful teams in the SWAC every year. Somebody wins that conference every year. Right. But I, going twelve and zero and being this big of a national brand, that feels like a Lightning in a bottle situation to me. We'll see what the, we'll see what happens. I'm not counting them out yeah. entirely. It'd be interesting to, to sort of see as like over the next few years with NIL and all that sort of thing and coaching hires and and the ability, as you say, for like people to out talent other schools. And it doesn't just happen at this level; like it happens at lots of different levels. Not so right. much in the NFL, but like I'm trying to think who the is it Biff. Poji, mm-hmm. is that the coach at i'm trying to think where, where he now. went but you know so i was listening to some interesting um podcasts about that hire and saying like you know his background you know is uh, is someone who has made a lot of money sort mm-hmm. of thing you know he this this dude is wealthy I, I do wonder if you start to see players like you know former players like dion who want to get into coaching who have you know personal wealth put aside they've smartly managed their own personal brand into other business ventures you know whether you can see people like that come in and transform schools 
like, you know, upgrade the facilities, get talent in there on a short-term basis. Um, it does feel like something that you could see more of as guys depart the league and want to move into coaching. Maybe they've got a brand that they can sort of leverage in recruiting and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, it could be exciting for different programs, even if it's not a long-term fix. I mean, it, the upgraded facilities are upgraded facilities too. Right. Right. For sure. For sure. It'll be fascinating mm. to see what comes next for Jackson State, though. I have no idea. Apparently, yeah. they're willing to take some pretty big swings, but we'll see who's who's willing to bite as well. Yeah. It's a two-way street <laughs> right now. Uh, so, yeah. amazingly, we weren't keeping track of it necessarily as we were talking, but Tug went 16-3 and three this week. Uh, pretty outstanding. Wow. Uh, Bug and I both went 12-7. Yeah. and seven. So he is closing in. Tug is closing in on me. But I still have a four-game lead. I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay here. At least for the regular season, I am guaranteed to win. With only one game left. Army-Navy this weekend. Stay tuned, folks. We'll be picking that on Thursday. Not just yet, though. Um, and two things before we wrap up. I do want to talk about my prospects that we had set to preview in this championship week. Starting off with Charlie Jones, wide receiver for Purdue. He had a fantastic game, honestly. Couldn't get in the end zone, though, which was the whole problem for Purdue, but still had over 100 yards, another game with uh, double-digit catches, and over 100 yards. Kind of impressive, not going to lie, because as I had talked about with Bug on the show Thursday, Ohio State's receivers weren't able to separate. It'll be fascinating to see if a guy like Charlie Jones can separate against these DBs at the team up north. And uh, he certainly did. Found some space. Some of that was scheming him open. There were some curls just on the edge of the zone. But, hey, you do what you got to do. And he was getting some yards after catch as well. Very impressed with Charlie Jones and seeing him live. uh, Definitely a focal point of this offense and for a good reason. So, Top 100 prospect for sure, in my opinion here. And then on the defensive side of the ball, I did take David Perales, defensive end for Fresno State. His whole story coming up from a JUCO simply because he didn't have much football experience. Uh, His grades were phenomenal, but didn't get much love as a recruit. Uh, Makes the All-California Community College Athletic Association academic team. (laughs) had to remember how to say that. And then (laughs) goes to Sacramento State, performs well again. Uh, This season at Fresno State, he has had 15 tackles for loss and and 10.5 sacks. No stats recorded other than he he batted down one pass, I guess, uh, in the championship game against Boise State. But still, applying pressure, making Boise State a little bit scared. I didn't get to watch this game. I don't know if he was double teamed. I was watching some other games of his, made me interested in him as a prospect. Um, who's your your guy on Twitter, Draft Vogel? Uh, I got him yeah, to start looking at this guy as well. So we'll see. We'll see what he comes back with. I'm very interested in that one. Nobody's talking about David Perales as a prospect. I really think they should be because his stats are unreal. And he's got the size for it. 37. 37- 37 tackles for loss and 22 sacks in three seasons at Fresno State. 
Um, <laughs> that's not bad. I would say that's, yeah, it's pretty dang good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's all we got for the show. It's been another long one. Uh, I don't know, my past seven episodes or so have all been like two hours. I think we got to figure something out there. <laughs> At the same time, I love, I love talking football. It's always fun to do it with my good buddies. And of course, that week includes, that includes Jake of the Jake Botel experience, sports experience. Thank you. Uh, what is, what is your show anymore? The Jake Botel sports experience, right? I think yeah, I've called the it one. the football experience it. a couple of times before. And it's like, you changed the name. I know you did. I was just, I gotta, I gotta get that right in my head. <laughs> we talk a lot of football, so it's still active. I know. <laughs> uh, but before we before we sign off, do you want to shout out any links? Do you have any other uh, places where people can find you? Anything like that you wanted to get off your chest? Yeah, you can definitely find me on Twitter. It's probably the best place to follow. I am on Facebook and Instagram, but Twitter is probably where I'm most active at the JBSE. Um, we do twice a week NFL podcasts at the moment, previews and recaps um, of all the action and probably going to move into covering XFL when that starts up as well. Nice. Um, and the CFL next year, that's the aim. And Nathan Rourke from the BC Lions currently on an NFL tour. He worked out for the Raiders, um, visiting the Broncos and Jacksonville Jaguars as well. So don't know what the future holds for him, but whatever it is, I hope it works out for him. So I just wanted <laughs> to shout that out there at the end too. Fantastic. And if you're looking for more BDT football, basically search for that basically anywhere on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that sort of stuff. Uh, our Twitch and YouTube are big dudes in the trenches, all one word, all spelled out like that. All those links will be down in the description of this podcast, along with Jake's links as well. And uh, once again, thank you so much for joining me, man. Really do appreciate it from all the way on the other side of the world. Kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah but no worries at all fun. thanks for the invite yeah man uh i'm sure we'll have to do this again very soon <laughs> but we'll stay in touch and with that let's get out of here